Thanks for being with us today. Whether you're hanging out with us here in the room, you're watching online, you're catching up later, uh, it is great that you chose to spend part of your week worshiping with us, and we're excited that you're here. If we've never met, my name's Corey, and I have the honor and privilege of being lead pastor here at GFC, and I'm very excited to continue this conversation in our sermon series we're calling Storyteller. Uh, if you haven't been around, you're just connecting the pieces, we've been going through this year, going through the book of Luke, and so we've hit different big pieces in the book of Luke, and we decided to take a good amount of time and say, let's talk about the parables that Jesus gives us in Luke. And so when I use parable, that's a very churchy word, right? So a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus would take the things that he would want us to understand about the kingdom of God, about what it means to follow him. And when you're teaching someone about something they've never seen or experienced before, you've got to use elements that they would understand, right? You've got to start to use pieces that would be common in their life. And so Jesus takes agriculture, he takes relationships, and he says, this is how I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven. And so we've been tracking through that. And like I've said, before. There's about 30 to 50 parables we think Jesus used. We are not going through all of them, but we've taken about 10 and we've started to walk through them and kind of go through what they mean and how we can understand the kingdom of God and how we understand Jesus uh, using these parables as a reference. Now, I want to start this conversation today and let you know this parable is actually one of the hardest things to understand in the New Testament. Um, I've had pastors who are friends of mine say, yeah, that passage, I don't know what to do with that passage. I don't really know how to interpret it. And, and if you've been in church for a while, you might have heard this or you might have read over it, but there's a decent chance, like, you've not really heard many preachers teach on it. I, we talked about prodigal son last week. You've probably heard that story probably a hundred times, just if you've been in church your whole life. But this story is probably not one that you've heard much of because pastors kind of get afraid of it. We, we read it and I'll, I'll explain why when we get there. But there's kind of some elements of the story just like, I, what? Like that doesn't make a ton of sense. And so I want to set this up. This, this kind of thing though excites me. Maybe I'm just a little weird, but like I get to these passages. I've taught on this passage before and I look at these and I go, this is fun. Like let's dig into this and kind of figure out what's going on and see if we can really learn from what's going on in this passage. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited for us to dive in. I want to start with a question, though, to kind of frame up where we need to be as we walk into this passage, okay? So here's the question. If you knew this phase of life was coming to an end, what would you do? If you knew this phase of life was coming to an end, what would you do? Now, some of us have already experienced this. Like, I really, all of us have kind of experienced this in the phase from summer to fall. For some of us, that was a sad phase. Oh, summer's over. I don't want it to be colder now. I want to stay in the beach weather forever. For some of us, that was get me out of the heat and let's move into the fall, right? Let's get to that stuff. Let's move to pumpkins and all of that fun things. Okay, I don't need pumpkin spice or something like that, right? I got to move to that. So we switch into that phase. So we all get that. And maybe there was a point in August where you realized I only have a few weeks left. I've only got a few weeks left of summer. We've got to take that trip. We've got to do that project. We've got to get to this before this happens, right? You, you start to think differently when phases are over. And maybe some of us have gone through, maybe you put a kid on the bus for the first time or the last time. And you started to think about, oh no, like now I have no kids in my home on a regular, on, during the day, or, or I'm going to have one less kid in my home on a regular basis. Like we start to think about things. And when we realize phases are starting to come to an end, it changes the way we think. Um, I've told you guys before, I had a lot of jobs before I became a pastor. And I, I knew since I was 14 that I wanted to be a pastor. So any job I had in between like 14 to like when I became a full-time pastor was just a stepping stone to me. It was like, okay, I need to make some money. I need to, I'm getting through school. I'm getting through whatever. And so we just kind of went 
piece to piece and did that. And, and every once in a while, I'd go to a job and maybe I didn't even dislike it a ton, but I, a new opportunity would come up. Or maybe I did dislike that job and I wanted a new one. And so I would start to move towards that new opportunity and I would give my two weeks notice wherever I was. And you know what would happen as soon as you'd give your two weeks notice? You start to think, oh, I am going to miss that person, right? Or I am going to miss maybe, maybe not that person, maybe not this process, maybe not. But like there are certain things that I would go, oh, I do kind of wish like if the job was just with this person or that person or this process or doing that. Like all of a sudden your brain starts to change when you start to realize something is going to be different, right? You see things differently and you start to process and you think about, oh, I need to get done or I need to do this before this comes to a head or this change happens in my life. And I think that this is true. Brevity creates urgency. When you realize you've only got a little bit of time left or your time is running out, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we make decisions. It changes the way we process what's going on. And when time is running out, all of a sudden we've got to move quicker. The thing that we thought we had time to take care of, now all of a sudden we've got to do faster. The thing that we've been putting off for a long time, now we've got to dive in. And at the beginning of this conversation, there's, it's a story about a guy who thought things were one way. He thought he was kind of going to be fine, and then things changed on him, and he had to figure out what to do. And there's wisdom in that decision that we're going to try and draw out of it today because this is where Jesus takes us. So we're going to have a conversation from Luke 16 today. So Luke 16, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2, and as always, the uh, words will be up on the screen for you to follow along, or if you'd like to take your next steps card, you can scan the QR code, or the QR code that's on the screen is the same thing. That will take you to our follow-along page, and you'll get all the verses, all the notes. You can submit questions, prayer requests. You can save the notes for yourself if you'd like. We'd love for you to follow along there. So in Luke 16, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Not a good day. You show up, boss says, hey, I need to talk to you. You get a, you get a text message the night before, hey, meet me in my office first thing in the morning. This is not good if you're the manager. Now, it's interesting because in our context, we don't necessarily, I mean, maybe you think about ways that people can manipulate money and things, and people do get away with it at times, but there's a lot more receipts today, right? Like there's much, much better ways to track where money's going and what's happening, whatever. This guy could have lied and, and just said different things. So what he was doing was just taking advantage. The owner had given him things to manage and he was just kind of cruising along and he was using the money to his advantage for his own sake. And so finally... The manager gets a report from, or I mean, the owner gets a report from maybe another manager, another employer, and says, hey, this guy's stealing from you. So he has to have this conversation. He says, you're going to get fired. But he needs the manager to get his accounts in order because the owner doesn't have them. So he's got to have the manager actually do a little bit of work before he can get rid of them because he doesn't know where things are. Because again, not exactly trackable. That's why the situation came up. And so moving forward in verses 3 and 4, it says, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me, and I don't have strength to dig ditches, and I'm too afraid to beg, or I'm too proud to beg. Uh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired, verses 5 and 6. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. 
He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Verse 7, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Now, this is where things get interesting, okay? What did he just do? He goes, I'm going to get fired, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the customers I'm responsible for. I'm going to give them a discount. Now, in so doing, what did he just do? He kind of cheated the owner, theoretically, out of the full amount that he was going to get paid. Now, maybe the manager was kind of like, I'm going to get fired anyway. (laughs) Might as well build a good relationship. But where it gets really interesting in this passage is the response of the owner. If you haven't read this passage, you can take a guess. Like, what would you think the owner would say? How could you do this? You were dishonest. But in verse 8, this is what he said. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. By the way, great language. Dishonest rascal. I love that. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Now, now this is the verse that's like, what? How do we do this? Okay, so let's pause. First of all, Jesus is telling the story. Let's just make sure we're all on the same page and we all get it. We are the manager. God is the owner. So in the story, the person that's being responsible to God is not being responsible to God and hasn't done well with what God has given him. But Jesus says, after he gives the discounts, it says the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. He goes, there's wisdom in what that guy just did. And then Jesus kind of steps out of the story for a minute and continues and says, And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. He says, actually, when we think about business and understanding the world around us, sometimes people that live and are of the world like we're not supposed to be, they get it and can manage that stuff a little bit better. It's kind of what Jesus says. Again, kind of strange, but let's keep going. In verse 9, he says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now again, this verse is a little bit interesting because it seems like what he's saying is, when your worldly resources you use them to benefit others. Then when your possessions are gone, so when life comes to an end, you've got nothing left, right? You're exiting this world. It says, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Who? It seems like he's almost saying the people that he gave a discount to, right? The worldly people. But that doesn't make sense because worldly people or people that we're doing business with out in the world that don't know Jesus are not going to be the ones who necessarily welcome us into eternal home. But here's how we have to understand this. We have to pause for a second and look back at the interaction that happened. The owner decided to fire the manager. What does the manager do? He goes and gives a discount to the customer. Now, what did he do for the relationship with the customer and the owner? Well, the customer really likes the owner now because the manager gave him a discount. And so when he comes back and thinks, oh, that manager or that owner that owns the company, they helped me. They gave me a discount. So next time I'm going to come back and go to that person. 
I'm going to come back to this owner. It changes relationships. So in what the manager did, he brought the customer and he brought the owner and the story together. And he brought them all together as one. And in, in doing so, he also rebuilt his relationship with the owner because now he was at least honest with what he did and he blessed somebody else with the resources he was given. See how this can be a little bit confusing, but when we dig in, we see what's happening. And I think there's two ways that Jesus, or two relationships that Jesus wants us to understand in this conversation. I just called them two friends. First of all, it's the people around us. He says in verse 9 again, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. He goes, I've given you stuff. I've given you what you've got because I want you to take it and use it to make friends. I want you to build relationships with people through the resources I've given. But then when you think about entering that eternal home, here's the other friend. I think that God would say we want to use what the resources God has given us to also build our relationship with God in heaven. Which is kind of a weird thing to think about, that we would use our worldly resources to build a relationship with God or to build God's kingdom. But it's very simple when you think about it. I can leverage my phone, right, and the fact that I've always got a Bible on my phone to access the word of God through a worldly resource and build my relationship with God. So when we think about it, we've got these worldly resources, we've got these things God has given us. And we can use them, first of all, to build relationships with people around us. That's what we're supposed to do. And to build our relationship with God and build the kingdom of God as well. In Luke 16, 10, 11, Jesus goes on and says this, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are trustworthy about worldly wealth... Who, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? This is, this is an, a principle that we can all get. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you understand this. You've got to start smaller and then work your way up to bigger responsibilities. I'm guessing maybe a lot, a bunch of us, like me, I learned how to drive a lawnmower before I learned how to drive a car. Why? Because you don't actually, have, I mean, you have to, you want straight lines, but at the same time, right, there's more room for error. You run into something, you're going slower, you figure it out, right? You start with a smaller responsibility and you work your way up. This is the same exact thing in the world. You start at a job, you start on the bottom level, or you start with small responsibility, and as you get there, you work your way up. God says, that's how this works. He says, if you're faithful with little things, you will be faithful with large ones. But he says, if you're dishonest with little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. We get this. If you gave someone $100 and you said, I need you to go to the store, I need you to get something, it's going to cost 25 bucks. I want my change back. They go to the store, they buy the thing, they come back, where's my change? Oh, I spent it on other stuff. I decided I wanted to buy the candy at the aisle, or I decided I needed a new pair of sneakers, or I decided, right, I decided that. Are you going to give that person that money again? Nope. But if a person comes back and goes, hey, I found it on sale and I bought it for $20, here's $80 back. What are you going to do with that person? You're going to trust them the next time. We get this. This is basic. And God, and Jesus is saying, this is also the way the kingdom of heaven works. When we're trusted, when we can be trusted with smaller things, we will be trusted with more. So listen, this, this changes the way we process our understanding of how God trusts us with what he's given us. When we think about this and we look at the resources around us and and God says, hey, I've given you what you've got to work with. You've got to show me that you can be responsible with it. 
when we blow it or when we don't pay attention to what God calls us to do with those resources, then when more doesn't come, sometimes we look at God and go, what are you doing? And God goes, what are you doing? You've got to use what I've got, I've given you and, and use it in a trustworthy way. And then it'll work its way up. And then at the end of this verse, he says, if you are untrust, untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? He goes, if you can't handle stuff on earth that doesn't actually matter as much, why would I trust you with even greater things? Why would I trust you with the riches of heaven? Why would I trust you with the things of my kingdom? And here's what I want us to grab from this that maybe we don't think about a lot is that God cares deeply about the stewardship of our resources. This is, this is something that's got to like really lodge in our hearts. What we've been given, the stuff we have, the, the influence we have, the relationships we have, all of it, it's got to be used to build God's kingdom. We can leverage it and use it for ourselves. We're really good at that. But when we think about it and we go, we need to be honest with what we've got, God cares deeply about what we do with our stuff. He cares about the decisions we make with our home, with our car, with our marriage. With our, he cares deeply about it. He doesn't just hand us stuff and walk away and go, have fun with that. He goes, this is what I've given you. This is what I've given you the opportunity to leverage. And the question is, are you going to be trustworthy and do what's right with those resources? In verses 12 and 13, Jesus goes on. He says, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Now let's pause there for a minute. If you read the weekly email that I sent out, I teased a story a little bit. I'll tell you the story in case you don't read it. Some of you just snickered because you read the email. There was a time I totaled my father-in-law's Mini Cooper. Yeah, everybody's like, what? Like, yeah. Now, here's the thing, okay? I say that phrase, here's what happened, okay? You were like, yeah, Pastor Corey, what's the story? So, we were driving the Mini Cooper. It was a week after we got married. Well, maybe like 14 days after we got married. We were back from our honeymoon, but they were out of town. I don't remember why I was driving the Mini Cooper, but I was. I will never drive one again, by the way. So we were on the highway. On the highway, it's raining. And we're in traffic. So it's not like I'm cruising along. Here's what happened. The SUV in front of me, very large SUV, like a Suburban, goes and then stops immediately. I did the same thing, except I didn't stop as quickly. But here's what happened. The bumper of the SUV hit the grill of the Mini Cooper. So that, like, I don't know, cracked the engine block or something. Like, honestly, the SUV, you, not a scratch. Not one. Not anything. The Mini Cooper, totaled. Yeah, because it was just pushed in a little bit like that. So the Mini Coopers are tin cans. That's just what I learned that day. So they it broke. But you can imagine how fun that conversation was to call my father-in-law on vacation and say, hey, by the way, I totaled your car. Nobody wants to have that conversation. And nobody wants to have that conversation when you borrow something from somebody else and say, oh, by the way, I broke your stuff. That's not a place we want to be. And even Jesus says, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things on your own? I do not want to be trusted with your Mini Cooper. Okay, don't, don't ever let me drive it. But he says this, right? No one can serve two masters. This is interesting. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So let's just pause and see how this has played out. Jesus tells us this story. He talks about how we need to be trustworthy. He'll, he'll know if we're untrustworthy with what he's given us. And then he comes down and he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, again, we have to pause and look at this. He does not say you cannot 
serve God and love money and serve God well. He doesn't say you just won't be very good at serving God if you are enslaved to money. He says, no, you, you can't do both. And going back to the understanding of the manager, the manager was in love with the money because he was just taking from somebody else, doing what he wanted, enslaved to it, and doing what he wanted to build his own kingdom. He was doing what he wanted to live his own life. He wasn't considering at all the person who gave it to him. And so Jesus says, you cannot do both. And here's what we have to get. We have to get to. Money is a tool, and the way you use it either worships God or worships you. We have to understand money is a tool. And the way we use it either worships God or it worships us. There's another verse in scripture that sometimes people get wrong and they say, money is the root of all evil. It's not actually that. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. So we understand money in and of itself is not an evil thing or a bad or a good thing. It is a tool. It is neutral. It is just like the wrench that is on the shelf or in the closet at your house. It can be used for really good things or it can be used for bad things. And the question is, how do we use it? How do we use the things that God has given us to manage? And so I've come up with three ways, right? Three ways that we can be good managers. Here's the first one I think is true. We have to recognize that you are not the owner, you are the manager. Or I am not the owner, I am the manager. This is really hard for us, and I think it's true, uh, it's really hard partially because we're American, And we get into a space where we go, you can't take that from me. This is mine. You can't have it. I earned it. So all of a sudden, when somebody starts to take something that we feel like we have the right to or we we have earned, we start to fight that thing. And so when this happens and it comes into our understanding of when we have to think about how we view what we have and what we've earned or not earned or what's been given to us or whatever, and God says, no, you don't own it, I do. Nothing that you've been given or nothing that you've obtained was completely you. I had a hand in that. And you might think back that, let's just go through it. But I worked that overtime. But I did this to earn that money. And I would look at you and go, yeah, but who gave you the ability to do that? Who put the breath in our lungs to be able to accomplish that? Why do we exist in the first place? Because God decided to create us and move us and give us the abilities that he's given us. And so when we think about this, we have to actually look at all that we have and say, I am not the owner, I am the manager. I have to do this as I look at GFC. I don't own this place. Now, I will say, if someone says to me, oh, what church are you a pastor? I say, oh, my church is GFC, right? I will say that, but that's not because I own the place. But God has called me to be in a space where I get to manage and and understand and help us and lead you and all that kind of stuff. And I have to see that as this is God's, it's not mine. And sometimes it's easier to do that with a church because we put God's name on it. But it's the same thing when we think about our car. Like, we are not the owner of it. Yes, we have the title, but how do we get it? God gave it to us. And so when we understand that, we have to recognize we're not the owner, we're the manager. And that changes our understanding of how we see things when it's somebody else's and not ours. Because there's a different accountability. It's not just, oh, well, it's mine, so I can do what I want with it. It's, oh, well, it's God, so now what I do with it has to be okay with God. It has to go through the understanding of what is God asking me to do and not what I want to do. Here's the second thing I think we can do to be a good manager. Great managers seek to leverage, invest, and promote. 
Great managers seek to leverage, invest, and promote. If, you're, if you work for a company, if you want to be trusted and you want to do well in a company, you make sure that you are doing everything you can to help the company, to make it look good, to make it make money, to promote it and make it have a good face. Right? We've all heard the stories of someone who works for a company and they do something stupid or they do something immoral or they do something that's not right. And we look at that company and go, why did they hire that person? Why, why would they do that? I'm not going back to that place. And so good managers, when we think about this, we would leverage what God has given us to build the kingdom of heaven. We would invest what God has given us to build the kingdom of heaven. We would promote God and the kingdom of heaven in the stuff that he's given us. Because it's not simply about us. So great managers, they leverage, they invest, and they promote. And you might be thinking, why, why am I using such, I don't know, businessy words with this conversation? Because that's where Jesus starts the conversation. He starts the conversation about an owner and a manager and some customers. He says, this is how we are to understand the kingdom of God. This is what he wants us to get. Here's the third thing. Probably be a good manager. We have to understand that one day our time will run out. One day, we're not going to have this opportunity anymore. One day, time's going to run out on us, and we're going to have to look back and say, what did I do with the time I was given? This is how the manager realized things were going bad, right? All of a sudden, time ran out because the boss realized what was happening. And he had to move quick to figure out what could he do to survive in this situation. By the way, I love his sentiment of, I'm too weak to dig a ditch and I'm too proud to beg. Like, that's kind of how pastors feel sometimes, right? Like, I'm really good at preaching. I'm really good at teaching. I'm really good at people. But like, you ask me to dig a ditch, I am of no help to you, okay? I can drive a Zamboni. That's what I've got, all right? So if you need that, we can do it. But that's it. He's like, I need to figure this out and I need to figure out fast because I'm in trouble. We have to think this way. Like, not that we're in trouble and not that we would think that God is coming to get us. But at the same time, we have to recognize we have a finite amount of time with the resources God has given us. And we have a calling to do something with it. And when we sit back and we go, oh, I've got all the time in the world. I don't have to worry about that yet. Right? I don't need to. I'll do that later. When I'm older, I'll do that. I'm learning more and more. Older gets here faster than you think. And all of a sudden, it's like I've got to figure this out. I've been putting this off way too long. And so we have to recognize there, there's a day where this time will run out. And in Psalms, verse nine, uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. This is also the, the verse that you might have heard, teach us to number our days. That's the same verse, just different way of thinking about it. But Martin Luther uh, actually commented on it, and he said it this way, Teach us to think daily about death so that we might learn how to live. You're like, thanks, Luther, that's real uplifting, right? No one wants to wake up every day and think about dying. We want to wake up every day and think about living. Like, how is, what do I get to do today? How do I? But he said, listen, we've got to wake up and realize death is always like one breath away. We don't know. We don't know. And so he says, when we think daily about death, or when we think about the brevity of life, or we think about numbering our days, we then learn how to live or we grow in wisdom, which is very interesting to think about. When we realize how quickly we need to learn something, we get wise about it. Like no one likes to make a big decision with not having all the information. If you want to have the right information, you're going to take time to study it and learn and figure it out so that when you have to make a quick decision, you've got the information you need. And so this is true. Urgency necessitates wisdom. 
Remember we said brevity brings urgency? Well, urgency necessitates wisdom. We want to know what's wise. We want to know what to do. We want to make sure that we're making wise decisions. And when we realize we're running out of time, we get quick to think about how do I do this well? It's what the manager in the story did. I'm running out of time. Boss is coming for me. I don't have a lot of options. I've got to figure this out and make sure I make a good decision. Because the decision he made in that moment meant something for the rest of his life. And the same thing comes for us. When we start to think about, I only have so much time on earth. I only have a short amount of time to leverage what God has given me. Now I get smarter about it. I don't waste it. I make good decisions and I try and make sure I'm understanding things right and I grow and I learn and I make sure that I'm doing what's correct in his eyes. And then the third thing is that it gets to this. Wisdom is the currency of legacy. Here's what I mean by this. Think about the conversation. Let's just break it down again. Jesus is setting up this premise that God as the owner has handed us all the resources we have. And he, he, as he has this conversation about it, he goes, there's a day coming where you're going to have to show me that you did what was right with the resources I've given you. And if you continue to do what's right with the resources I've given you, I will give you more. And you will gain influence. And you will be given responsibility because I see you can handle it. Or the opposite is true. That you will lose what I have for you because you don't do well with what I've been giving you. And when we get to the end of, like when we realize time's going to run out, we're all going to get to that point. We're all going to get to the day where we're either knowing that the end is coming or the end has come. And the question is, when people look back and they look at our lives, what are they going to ask? How well did he or she love us? How well did he or she manage what they were given? How did they, whatever. And the question is, what do you do with your legacy? And we understand, as people, when someone leverages well what God has entrusted to them, we can see that. And we would look at that person that's already passed or they're going past, and we would say, what they did with what God gave them, they showed me they loved me with it. Or they showed me how to follow Jesus with it. Or they showed me how to build the kingdom of heaven with it, right? They, they did those things because they knew that their time was short and they knew they wanted to honor God. And so they did. And we can all sit around and we go, look at what that person did. I hope I'm that person. I hope I do that well. We know how to measure this in our lives. And so wisdom is the currency of legacy. And legacy, your legacy and my legacy, will consist of the ways we leveraged what was entrusted to us. We know how to measure this. The question is, are we going to make the decisions to make sure we do? Or are we going to get stuck like the manager and say, oh no, I've got to figure this out because I wasted time oh no, I didn't do what God was calling me to and now it's a different conversation. So here's what we got to get to. Again, I want to like hammer this home because I want this to be understood in our hearts and minds. Everything I have can and should be leveraged to build God's kingdom. Everything. There's not one thing that shouldn't. Our house, our car, our vacation, our vocation, our marriage, our friendships, our relationships with our siblings, our parents, or whatever. All of it that we've been entrusted with, that we have the opportunity to engage with and influence, can and should be leveraged to build God's kingdom. 
And here's why. And I think we get this too. When you are focused on God's kingdom, everyone wins. When you are focused on your kingdom, you win. And that's it. You know, I, I know this of all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not. I know that if someone we care about looks at us and says, you are a selfish person, that hurts. If a friend says that to us, if a spouse says that to us, if they look at us and they really mean it, like they're not joking, they're being honest to you and they're saying, you are a selfish person. No one wants to be that. You would never choose your best friend and go, I really like that person because they're so selfish. You would never marry someone because you looked at them and said, they're so selfish, I'm so excited to marry them. You would never say that. Not whether you know Jesus or not, like that is a universal thing. No one wants to be selfish. And so we recognize whether we know Jesus or not, that when we start thinking about other people more than we think about ourselves, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And so when we think about this and we look at how am I managing, how am I using, how am I leveraging, how am I investing, whatever, how am I using all of the things God has given me, or, or just even if you're not a follower of Jesus, all of the things that I have access to, if I'm just using it for me, I'm a selfish person. And no one wants to be called that. We all recognize that that's a negative thing. So here's how we understand this from a biblical perspective. When you're focused on God's kingdom, everyone wins. What do I mean? When I'm trying to be more like Jesus, when I'm wanting my resources and my life to be focused on God and leveraging him and wanting him to be promoted, guess who wins? My friends win. My marriage wins. My kids win. Because all of my, all of my priorities are in order. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm about other people, and I want to love other people and invest in other people. And so those other people win, the people at my church, my teammates, my classmates, my people I work with, my boss, my, the people I manage, all of it. Like everybody, when I'm focused on building the kingdom of God, everybody wins because my priority is in the right place. When I'm focused on me, any, the only person who wins is me. And we all know the people that we've been around, and they only make selfish decisions. And we all know we don't want to work for that person. We don't want to hang out with that person. We don't want to marry that person. We don't want to spend time with that person. We don't want that person teaching our kids or coaching our kids. We want people that look at others and say, I am invested and committed to building other people up. And what Jesus says in this passage is that that can be just a worldly thing. Uh, people who don't know Jesus can build other people up. But he says the goal of doing it is to say, I want to reflect my creator to them. I want them to know who I love and who I serve and who is a massive part of my life so that when they look at me and they say, why are you so not selfish? Why are you so committed to your God? Why are you so committed to building this thing that you are not even a part of, like building the kingdom of God, but you're a part of it, but you're not, like you can't physically see it and understand, but you're like, no, 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 I, I have to, I have to honor God with what he's given me. And they go, what is, why? We go, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you. I want you to understand because I want you to win. I don't want just me to win. And so when we look at this passage, it's a little funky. It's not the twist we thought it was going to take. We did not think the owner was going to say, look at the dishonest rascal and how smart he's being. But what Jesus wants us to get is God has handed us all that we have. It's his. But he says, you get to use it. You get to manage it. 
And there are other places in scripture, we'll get to eventually, where God says, I'm giving you this and what you do with it, how you multiply it is shown how faithful you're being. And Jesus says, if you are faithful with little things, like if you're faithful with what God gives you, he will continue to give you more. That's what Jesus says. Okay? Now, it's not a prosperity gospel thing. It's not like, oh, just be faithful with a dollar and you'll get a million. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But also understand when he says, if you are honest with things of the world, it will lead to heavenly things. The kingdom becomes the goal, not just the kingdom here. Because if we're focused on multiplying our dollars to a million here and it's selfish, then that's being the manager that was in trouble in the first place perspective shift of this is not mine. I leverage it. I invest it. I promote God with it. And when I do that, I honor him. And when God sees us honor him with what he's entrusted to us, he blesses that. So we've got to get to space where we go, what I have is not mine. My day, like my breath I have in my lungs, not mine. I am the manager of it. God gave it to me to use. What am I going to do with it? So here's the question. As the band comes back up and we get ready to sing one last song, I just want to ask these two questions. One, what have you been managing poorly? There might be aspects of life where we go, I am managing that well. Like I'm doing well in this space. I think I'm honoring God with it. But chances are there's spaces we might not be managing well. It could be finances or it could be our time. We're not good at managing time. And yet that's a resource God has given us. So we've got to think about that and say, how am I going to use it? Maybe it's our health. That's a resource we've been given. I'm not managing it correctly. I need to do it better. It's my marriage. God has given me this spouse and I need to do better. I need to invest more in it. So what's the thing? Like, just imagine this for a minute, right? God walks into your office or he walks into your living room and he sits down on the other side of the desk or he sits down on the other end of the couch and he starts to go through like line items of your life that he's given you. What's the thing you hope he skips? What's the thing you go, if God doesn't ask me about that part of life, I'll feel better because then he won't know I'm not doing well there. But you know God's going to go there first, right? Like he knows. So what's the thing on the receipt of our lives that we would go, uh, that's the one I don't want to have account for right now. And the last question is, what are you going to do? How will you change? How will you leverage and invest and promote God using that part of the resource God has given you? And nothing's off limits. God doesn't look at us and go, oh, that's yours. You don't have to worry about me. No, like, it's all his. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this story. Thank you that um, it can be a little bit challenging because that causes us to dig a little bit deeper. God, I ask that we would understand that all we've been given is yours. Whether it's our home, our car, our job, our marriage, the breath in our lungs, whatever. Like, it is yours and we are just the managers of it. You have called us and said, you get to manage what I've given you. But I care deeply about what you do with it. And God, I pray that you would just make it super obvious to us the areas of life that we look at and we go, 
you know, I would not be excited to have a conversation with God about how I'm managing that area. And I pray that you would just make that abundantly clear and you would give us the opportunity to say, this is how I'm going to change it. This is how I'm going to shift how I understand that peace and not just build my own kingdom, but that I would build yours. And God, I pray that we would not be known as selfish people. That we would be people that others look at and go, man, you are the most unselfish person I've ever met. Why? And we would get to have that conversation. I pray that you would just help this idea of you are the owner, we are the manager, to sink in deeply. And we would live our lives to honor you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.